following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. last few months uh, we've come back several times to this wonderful declaration that Paul made over his son in the Lord Timothy about the eternal nature of the life, the calling, the name that God has for us in Christ. Do you remember 2 Timothy 1.9 where it says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from before time began. Now, forgive me for coming back to that so often, but I get so excited at that truth that God has a name for us, a calling, a life for you and I that's been set aside, waiting for us for a long time. I mean, is it not the most exciting thing in the world to hear God speak his name for you over you because there is power in his words for you and I to be who he declares us to be. And I believe the high calling that God has for his body, the body of Christ, the church, is to speak such eternal words, words from outside of time, heavenly words into every generation. And when challenged to be able to say what Jesus said, I only speak what I hear the Father saying. You know, throughout the scriptures, when the Lord called people into his eternal destiny for their lives, he spoke to each of them. He called each of them by a name they'd never heard before. Remember, he called Abraham, father of many nations. He called Moses, the deliverer of my people. Gideon, mighty warrior. And Mary, the mother of the Lord. Now, from the moment he did that, each of them could only walk into that life God's supernatural calling on their lives by accepting that name, the eternal identity that God always had for them. You know, when Nicola and I came to name each of our four children, we wanted that for them too. We wanted their names to speak of God's calling on their life. And so we named our first child Bearing Christ, Christopher. The second we named He Has Favored Me, Hannah. The third, The Rock. Peter, and our youngest we named the Lord is Perfect, Jotham. And I want to show you today that it takes time for any infant to learn their own name, the name they will respond to all their lives. But it's the simplest thing in the world to teach them. You just keep speaking to them by that same name every time you address them. You never change your mind. Imagine if you went to visit a young couple who had had their first child nearly a year ago and you find out that they've already changed the name of the child six times. And when you ask them why, they tell you that they've decided to see how the child turns out and then name them after their behavior. Well, I'm tempted to say, why do you think that's strange? After all, is that not how many Christians believe God names them? They believe that he relates to us the same way this world does, on the basis of our behavior. If our behavior slips below a certain level, then he changes our name 
from saint to sinner, from accepted in the beloved to rejected by the beloved. No wonder many of us as believers have struggled to hear the Lord's voice. We're so often crippled by indecision because we're afraid to make a decision uh, in case it's a mistake and in case he changes our names in his eyes. Last year, he could have called us perhaps a follower, but this year he has unfriended us because we went off the rails. Church, as long as we continue to believe our Father is as fickle as Facebook, then we're never going to mature into sonship because our eyes are on ourselves too much. We're so wrapped up in our old self-life, trying to get it into some sort of shape that we never see past what we don't appear to be or have to see the contentment in our Heavenly Father's face over His work in our lives, Christ in us, our hope of glory. You know, we're just like Lazarus, risen from the dead, but unable to see or hear clearly in this new life because we're still so wrapped up in the grave clothes of a previous life, self-consciousness. You know, Lazarus had to be unbound, unwrapped, unveiled to be able to see and hear and walk freely in his resurrected life. And Jesus gave that task to those around him. I believe when the Lord sees so many Christians, those of us who were resurrected with him, still bound by the grave clothes of their old self-life, not seeing or hearing or walking freely in our identity as sons of God, he still says to his church what he said to those around Lazarus, loose him and let him go. The call of the church is to be the voice of the Father speaking into this generation. Firstly, calling people out of death, separation from God, and into life, union with God, by the proclamation of what Christ has done, the preaching of the gospel, that they might believe and so receive the gift of his life, sonship in Christ. But as they received him, so they're called to walk in him, to then live their lives in the Son, in Christ, living so conscious of being in him, of being in his presence, that their lives reveal his presence. And Paul described this contentment in believers as like a childlike innocence that causes them to shine like stars in a crooked generation. But you know, it's hard for believers to walk in this awareness of their life in Christ if they're continually spoken to as if God names them and relates to them differently week by week depending on their behavior. This week they're called worthy to receive communion, but one bad weekend has changed their name. For next week they name themselves not worthy to receive communion. <laughs> All we do by keeping pointing believers to their performance is to leave them more wrapped up in themselves than ever. You know, sometime after his resurrection, Lazarus attended a meal that Martha gave for Jesus the week before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Imagine at that meal if Jesus had looked down the table that night and saw Lazarus sitting there, still wrapped and bound in his grave clothes. And on asking Martha why he's been left like that, she tells him that they believe he will lead a holier life if he is constantly reminded that from dust he has come and to dust he will return. <laughs> what do you think Jesus would have said? Think for a moment about the humility of Jesus as he kneels to wash the feet of the disciples. You know, he didn't do that knowing that from dust he came and to dust he would return. John 13 tells us that he did that knowing from the Father he came and to the Father he was returning. 
You see, knowing that your eternal calling in Christ, the name, the life he had for you, was in the heart of God before dust was even made, doesn't cause you to be less humble, but more humble, because it brings you into a rest in your soul that can only be known by those who are no longer trying to make a life, a name for themselves, but have submitted to the name, the life granted them in Christ from before time began, accepted in the beloved. Do you know why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians that from now on we regard no one according to the flesh? Because everywhere he looked, he saw people living so wrapped up in themselves that they were deaf and blind to what God had done for them. And all he could hear was the Spirit of God saying to him, Paul, loose them and let them go. Call them into my resurrection by speaking to them as who they are in my eyes, worth the giving of my life to. And then teach them to walk in my life, my glory, my doxa, my view and opinion of them by always speaking to them by that same calling, not according to the flesh, their behavior, but according to my great purpose and grace given to them in Christ before they were even born. You see, this is how you train a child to know their true name. You never stop calling them by that name, even on their worst days. In fact, especially on their worst days. Today, the Holy Spirit still says to each of us in the church, when you see brothers and sisters still stumbling around in their grave clothes, circling around the old life they were taken out of, but never going on into the new, loose them and let them go by speaking to them as an entirely new creation. Because the Holy Spirit still says to the church in this generation what he said to the Colossians through Paul. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let me read you that full verse from Colossians 1, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. You see, to be firmly rooted in Christ is to be firmly rooted in your new name. Your new name is complete in Christ, not incomplete in Christ. Your new name is accepted in Christ, not half accepted as the jury is still out since you went off the rails last year. <laughs> what I'm saying this morning is that this world names people after their own lives. You're not to follow that pattern because with that philosophy, you can never simply be. You will spend your whole life becoming but never being. This is an elementary principle of this world. This world believes you only become someone great by doing someone great. But that is not the way the kingdom of God works. You don't operate in the life of the kingdom by trying to become someone, but by being someone. Now that's worth saying again. You don't operate in the life of the kingdom by trying to become someone, but by being someone. You know, what set Jesus apart from all the other teachers in his time in the eyes of the people was the authority with which he spoke. Let me put that another way. It was obvious to anyone who heard him that he wasn't trying to become someone special. He was already being someone special, for he was so convinced, so rooted and built up and established in the truth that he was the Son of God, that he spoke and lived as the Son of God. Even some temple police who turned up one day to arrest him made the mistake of pausing first to hear him speak and they were so 
intimidated by the authority with which he spoke, that they returned empty-handed. And when the religious leaders challenged them as to why they didn't arrest him, all they could reply was, no one has ever spoken like this man. You know, church, that's how we're supposed to speak. The Lord has given us his Holy Spirit that we too would be so rooted, so built up, so established in our identity in Christ as sons of God, that we would talk that way and walk that way as the body of Christ. Therefore, church, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now listen to the very next thing Paul says to the Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy an empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. That's Colossians 2, 8-10. You know, as you receive Christ, so walk in Christ. That's not just an exhortation. You know, as with so much scripture, it's a profound prophecy. If you believe you received Christ entirely as the gift of his grace, then you can walk, you can live in Christ entirely by the gift of his grace. You can walk in your grace clothes, your face shining with thanksgiving, for you are being who he declares you to be in Christ. It beats walking around in your grave clothes your face darkened by self-consciousness, always trying to become who he says you are in Christ. Now I'm sure that you know already that in my life and in your life, to begin to think from such a heavenly position, that's a journey. It's a journey called the renewing of your mind. When you take people who've been living in darkness into the light, when they've been living in darkness for such a long time, you can expect that there's gonna be an awful lot of squinting going on because you just can't take in all that light, all that revelation in one go. You know, when you start to preach the scandal of the gospel in all its glory, that when you receive Christ, you have in fact been blessed in the heavenly realm with every blessing God has, there suddenly starts an awful lot of squinting in the church. And some people won't even dare squint. Spiritually, they shut their eyes, they pop their fingers in their ears, and they start shouting at the top of their voice which, if you remember, is exactly what happened at Stephen's trial when he dared to say that he could see by the Spirit that Christ the man was standing at the right hand of the Father. When you take people who've been living in darkness into the light, there's a lot of squinting that goes on because you just can't take all that light in, all that revelation in at one time. Just ask Saul of Tarsus. You see, we all need someone like Ananias a believer who came to Saul, so full of the Spirit, that he was able to speak to him, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, and call him Brother Saul, when all the evidence of Paul's natural life pointed to him definitely not being a brother in the Lord. Do you know the reason why multitudes of Christians live their lives trying to be Christians? Because the church, believers around them, don't know how to speak to them after the Spirit so their words don't root them and build them up and establish them in their new identity, righteous in Christ, to the point that they begin to shed something like scales, their old covenant sin-conscious grave clothes, that self-conscious mindset, and begin to think and so be, so walk 
as children of the Spirit. Instead, we train people up for years in how to identify and stay away from sin. And we do that for so long and so well that soon all they can see everywhere is the sin that abounds, but they cannot see the grace, the life that superabounds, that abounds so much more because the continual preaching of the law for righteousness has veiled their eyes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. In turning to Christ, the veil is taken away. If the veil is remaining over so many Christians' vision, could it be that so much of our teaching is turning people to church, but not turning them to Christ? The Holy Spirit is saying to the church, stop imprisoning my people in buildings where they've studied sin for so many years that they've become experts in who they're not, but cannot see who they actually are. Loose them and let them go by preaching Christ as the gift of God, not the reward of God for those who have repented enough. You see, repentance is not a work of man. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he delights to give it to the most unrighteous people. If the church would only preach Christ as the gift of God to the most unrighteous people. Do you know there was a time in the early church where the gospel was trapped for some years in a certain religious culture, the Jewish culture, until one day in Joppa, the Holy Spirit so filled Peter that he heard clearly three times that he and so the church were to stop calling unclean what God had already cleansed. As if something like a veil had been lifted from his eyes, Peter got up and he did what a lifetime of his religious culture had taught him never to do. He went into the house of an unclean Gentile, telling him as he went in, God has told me to call no man unclean. Peter walked into that house and he began to preach, but he didn't get very far. He had just told them that when you believe in Jesus, you receive the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible records, as he was speaking these very words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were listening to the message. Peter never got the chance to add anything else to that message. He didn't get the chance to give them one piece of advice about what they should do in order to be worthy of this gift. It was like the Holy Spirit said, that's enough. What Christ has done for them is enough, Peter. Don't make it about what they have to do now for him. Repentance, metanoia, is not a work that earns God's life. It is the gift of God that comes to men when the gospel is preached to them in the power of the Spirit. You know, when the church at that time heard what Peter had done, there was an unholy row about it. Peter was called before them to give an account of what he had done. But all arguments ceased when Peter described how the Holy Spirit had come and filled the Gentiles, the unclean people, in the same way he had filled the Jews, the clean people. For even they had to admit, how can we now call unclean whom God has filled with the Spirit? Acts 11:18 says it like this, When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Repentance to life is granted to us, not earned by us. Repentance to life is granted to us, not earned by us. Only when the church experiences again the joy of Christ's life as a gift to be received, not a degree to be earned, will she come dancing and singing out of her buildings with such liberty that once again, as on the day of Pentecost, men will suppose us to be drunk. 
Until that happens, church life will continue to resemble school, years of studying in the hope that we'll pass the test one day and one day can start walking in Christ. No. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Listen to that same verse from the Message Translation. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. What a great phrase. School's out. It speaks of leaving one season and entering another. Through Christ, our Heavenly Father has opened a way into an entirely new life. And it's not a test. It is a rest. But when God calls you into this new life of being who He declares you to be by speaking your new name, you can only walk in that name, that destiny, with one response. Be it done unto me according to your word. That's why Mary is such a role model for the birthing and formation of the life of Christ in a believer. It is only in receiving God's new name for you can you walk away from your old life. Receiving His name for you cuts you off from your old life. Believer, you don't have a single life anymore, for to receive Christ is to live married to Him that you may bear His life, which is what Paul meant when he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ. This is what the Bible calls the circumcision of the heart by the living word. When God speaks your eternal name, there is a putting off, there's a cutting off of your old life to enable you to walk in His new name, His eternal life, his new life, His eternal life. His Word is sharp enough to cut us free from living a soulish earthly life so that we can rise into our heavenly name, His eternal name for us, granted us in Christ before we were even conceived. Receiving your new name and being cut off from your old life actually go together. Listen to what the Gospel says in Luke 2.21 of Jesus Himself. It was from the day of his circumcision that Mary's child was called Jesus, the name given by an angel before he was conceived. There is power in God's name for you, the grace for you to transcend your old life, to rise up a new person, to be cut off from that old life. A name that God has for you which transcends your mortal life could also be called your immortal name. Now listen again to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.10 of our calling in Christ from before the world began. He says that it now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, such names, eternal callings, are revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We are used to thinking of immortality as going one way, on and on into the future. But in the plan and purposes of God, immortality goes back as well as forward. When it says that the appearance of Christ brought immortality to light, it doesn't just mean that Christ revealed eternal life as a life that went on and on into the future, but He reveals that to God our lives were in His heart from before the world began. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Can you remember who God said that to? Those words were spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. Now, believing he said that to Jeremiah won't change your life. 
but believing he's saying it to you will. Can you believe he says that to you? You see, this is always how God has spoken to his people. Here's a question. When God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, which you is he talking about? You see, to Jeremiah, he was talking about the Jeremiah who would be a prophet to the nations. To Abraham, he was talking about the patriarch of Israel. To Gideon, he was talking about the mighty warrior. To Mary, he was talking about the one destined to carry and nurture the Christ child. I mean, didn't God know that when he spoke to Abraham, Abraham had achieved nothing of his destiny in the flesh, that he was living in barrenness? Yes, he knew, but he wasn't speaking to Abraham according to his mortal record, but according to his immortal calling. Didn't God know that when he spoke to Gideon, that Gideon had achieved nothing of his destiny in the flesh, that he was living in fear? Yes, but he wasn't speaking to Gideon according to his mortal record, but according to his immortal calling. Didn't he know that when he spoke to Mary that she had achieved nothing of her eternal destiny in the flesh, that there was nothing to recommend a girl living in the humblest of circumstances to be the mother of our Lord? Yes, he knew but he wasn't speaking to Mary according to her mortal record, but according to her immortal calling. Now you may say, ah, Phelan though, but they were special people and God may have had an immortal eternal name for them, but I don't see many angels appearing to people these days to tell them their eternal name. That's because God doesn't need to use angels these days to tell people of their immortal calling, because since the appearing of Christ, immortality is now brought to light by another means, God has purposed by another means through which men and women hear their true name in Christ. How are such callings, such names now revealed? Listen again to 2 Timothy 1.10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We don't need an angel to speak to us of our eternal calling because we have the gospel. If the gospel you're sitting under doesn't reveal your immortal calling to you, it's not the glorious eternal gospel that Paul preached. If the gospel you're sitting under does not address you or reveal to you God's name for you in Christ, then you are not being equipped to live in that life because faith comes by hearing. It takes any infant some time to learn their own name, the name they will respond to all their lives, but it is the simplest thing in the world to teach them. You just keep speaking to them by that same name every time you address them. You never change your mind. It is in hearing God speak to you as in Christ, the eternal one, that you are graced, empowered to live that in Christ eternal life today because words from God are spirit and they are life. Only his word to you lifts you into the eternal realm, lifts your thinking from the things that are passing away and sets your mind on things that will never pass away. Christ and all whose lives are hidden with him in God. That's why on hearing Gideon's astonishment and questions on how he could possibly do what he, he was being asked to do, the Lord in effect simply kept repeating to him, you will do it because I've spoken to you. In other words, God believes his words are eternal words with the power to impart eternal destinies. How much faith does God have in his word? Enough to see you as whom he declares you to be, not whom your earthly record declares you to be. That's worth saying again. How much faith does God have in his word? 
enough to see you as whom he declares you to be, not who your earthly record declares you to be. In Christ, God declares you to be a saint. But until your mind is renewed to Christ, you can only think of yourself as a sinner. If you can hear God's words to you, spoken from the eternal realm of your destiny in Christ, then that life is birthed and forms in you through the power imparted by such words. For what comes with his words are spirit and life. Holy Spirit, eternal life. You know, when you were a child and your mom and dad asked you several times to do something and you kept repeating, why, why? Eventually in frustration, they may have said, because I say so, that's why. Listen carefully. The Holy Spirit sees from the eternal realm. He sees the end from the beginning. He is the Holy Spirit of him who has sat down and rest because all that needs to be done has been done. He never speaks to you in frustration or anger as if he was hoping that you would achieve something for him and now you have disappointed him. His love for you and his name for you are not changed by your performance. Why? Are you ready for this? Because he was never depending on you. All that was required to be done for you and him to live as one, he is not looking for you to do because the living word, Christ, already did all that was necessary and proclaimed it before all of creation from the cross. It is finished, accomplished, paid in full. That's why to preach the gospel is not to preach you, but to preach Christ. If you keep coming to a new covenant ministry looking for some nice talks on how you can be a better Christian, then you will be sorely disappointed because we don't preach you, we preach Christ. Repentance is not a work of the flesh, but a gift of God's Spirit that comes through His Word. It is the Word of God that is the power of God unto repentance. But how are men to repent if they're not given such words from the Spirit? Heavenly words, eternal words. Just as a child must learn their name by hearing their name, it is as we keep hearing our calling, our new name in Christ, that we can start to draw our eternal identity from whom He declares us to be, rather than from our record in the flesh, what we do or what we don't do. Then we begin to understand what Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 mean when it says that we can put aside, lay aside that old self by being renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you can put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. How much faith does God have in his word? Enough to see you as whom he declares you to be. This is why the Holy Spirit can only speak to people as God sees them to be from his eternal perspective. And that is why Jesus did not address people as they appear to be in this earthly realm, cut off from God, sick or dead. Because when the eternal God speaks his words over you, words that are spirit and life, you cannot remain under those words cut off from God, sick or dead. That's why when Jesus said to a dead man, Lazarus, come out, he came out. Now, if you're listening to this message and you do not know Jesus Christ and you have just been living for yourself, then you're not living the life that God has desired and purposed for you to live. And even if you live to be a thousand years old by yourself, you will never get near the life that God wants for you because you'll always be trying to become someone but never being the person he made you to be for he never saw you and he never called you to be by yourself.
he always saw you being with him. Through the proclamation to you of God's eternal calling for you, the Lord is granting to you repentance and metanoia, the grace to begin to think his thoughts on you. It takes any infant some time to learn their own name, the name they will respond to all their lives, but it is the simplest thing in the world to teach them. You just keep speaking to them by that same name every time you address them. You never change your mind. God has never changed his mind about you, but he had you listen to this message this morning because he wants you to have a change of mind about him and the power for that to happen, for you to have a metanoia, a repentance unto life, is in hearing him call you to himself. If this morning you can hear his call on your life, let me tell you why in the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It takes an infant some time to learn their own name, the name they will respond to all their lives. But it is the simplest thing in the world to teach them. You just keep speaking to them by that same name every time you address them. You never change your mind. God has never changed his mind about you, but you need to change your mind about him. And the gospel is the power of God, the grace of God given for such a change. God bless you.